0: in our 40 days of prayer, seeking God for the city of Louisville, seeking God for our nation, seeking God for our leaders, seeking God for our families. And I believe that God is listening to our prayers, don't you? The last couple of weeks we've talked about uh, the, the Lord's Prayer. We're going to read it again this morning in Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn with me there. Matthew chapter 6. Last uh, two weeks ago, we talked about uh, our Father in heaven, His hallowed and holy name, and that powerful name that we have access to. And then we talked last week about the kingdom of God and how it is released into our lives as we seek God and as we pray. And now today I want to talk to you about probably one of the most familiar um, ways of praying to everybody in this building today, and that is the prayer of petition. I, I say it's familiar because most of us have had to cry out to the Lord on many, many occasions in our lifetime and ask Him to supply a need in our life. It's sometimes a little awkward to enter into praise and, and thanksgiving uh, in prayer. It's sometimes uh, awkward to ask God for his will to be done because we don't always know what his will is. But how many of you know that it's never awkward to ask God to meet our needs? Because when we're in need, we want God's assistance and we want him to come in to the situation, give us the answer that we need. So today we're going to talk about this prayer of petition. I want to try to give you some thoughts about it that may be a little different than what you're accustomed to hearing. But let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Give me a little more monitor if you will, guys. I appreciate it. Beginning at verse 9, it says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray now that you will allow it to come alive to our spirit and that as we hear with our ears the words that will be spoken, that you will encourage us, edify us, strengthen our faith. We know and understand that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Lord, give us the faith that we need to trust you for everything in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, a few weeks ago, I mentioned to you that there are some things that we don't have to pray about. You know, I don't have to pray about certain sin that I might be tempted to do and say, Father, is it your will for me to commit this? Is it your will for me to say this? Is it your will for me to do this? I don't have to pray about that because I already know what the will of God is concerning those things. What I can pray is, Lord, keep me from the temptation." prevent me from giving in to the flesh and doing things that I know are already wrong. I don't have to pray and ask God if it's okay for me to steal from my employer. I don't have to ask God if it's okay for me to cheat on my wife. I already know the answer to those things and therefore I don't have to pray about those things. There are other things that I know I simply don't have to pray about because God gives me the things that I have need of as I need them. For instance, everybody join me and take a deep breath right now. Would you take that? Come on. And let it out. Do it one more time. And let it out. Let me ask you this morning, how many of you prayed in between those breaths that the Lord would give you yet one more breath to breathe on the face of this earth. I dare say, now we might have a smart aleck or two that would lift their hand just for the fun of it, but if I were to ask for a show of hands today, how many of you prayed about your next breath? Most of you would say, no, I didn't really feel the need to do that. And the reason for that is because, because God gives us breath. And we're going to have breath until he calls us home, and then he will take breath from us, but he will usher us into his presence. So my my point is simply this. There are things that we don't have to pray about because God has already instituted a process in our lives that will bring blessing to us without necessarily having to pray. Now, some of you are thinking, well, good, that makes me feel better because I'm not real good at praying and I don't pray a whole lot anyway. No, I'm not excusing a lack of a prayer life. I'm not excusing that. There are many things that we need to pray for and that we should pray for and that we should ask God about. In fact, Scripture says you have not because... You ask not. So it's important for us to learn to pray and have a process of prayer in our life. I'm just simply saying that there are some things that God has already initiated in us and for us that don't require a lot of time of us praying for that. But there are some things that we do need to pray. Now, why do we pray? Why do we pray For the prayer of petition and provision, if we know that God already knows everything that we have need of. And we've already answered that by saying we have not because we ask not. He wants us to ask, He wants us to seek, He wants us to find the things that He has made available to us. And so we do that through prayer. Prayer is how we affirm God as our provider and trust Him to be faithful to His promises. Now let me tell you that God does not need your affirmation. God is God whether you affirm Him or not. But we need to affirm within our own mind that God is our provider. The Old Testament referred to him as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. It literally means the God who sees. And because he sees, he knows what we have need of in the moment that we need it. So God is our provider. Now, if we're going to pray like this effectively we've got to make a commitment to it. And we hate commitments, don't we? How many of you signed up for the gym this year at the beginning of the year? Don't raise your hands. I don't want to know because my next question was going to be how many of you are still going? How many of you made a commitment at the beginning of the year to go on a diet? Don't raise your hands. I don't want to know because my next question would be how many of you are still on that diet You see, what I'm trying to tell you today is that we hate commitments. We go out and buy a new car and we get this fancy new new shiny car that also comes with these little coupons that they require you to write a check and send it in. And what I've discovered that if I have a car that I'm having to pay for, I don't like it nearly as much as I thought I would. Because what happens is, is that we make a decision in a moment, but then when it comes time for commitment to follow, we don't like commitment very much. But what I'd like to suggest to you today is, is that if you're going to be a, a person of prayer, it's going to require a commitment and a discipline on your part to do these things. So today I want to share with you three commitments that I think are required as we move through this prayer of petition and this prayer of provision. And the first one is this, for us to successfully pray for God's provision in our life, we must start with a commitment to contentment. Let me say that again, a commitment to contentment. Now, if you have your Bibles handy, grab them and go to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. Philippians 10, 4, excuse me, 10 through 19. It says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me yet again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you've done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, the Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all that I need and even more. I am generously supplied with the gifts that you sent me from Epaphroditus. They are sweet smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who has taken care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus Now, all glory to God, our Father, forever and ever, amen. Now, I notice this statement from the apostle here who says, I have learned that in every state that I find myself in, that I can be content, that I can be happy with where I currently am, because I know that God is going to meet every need that I have. And so I'm content in knowing that whether I have a lot or whether I have little, that God is in control. We used to sing years ago in the church this old song that says, little is much when God is in it. How many of you remember that old song? Little is is much when God is in it. And how true that statement is, that when God is in it, whether it's little or whether it's much, God will supply everything that we have need of. I think that in our day and age, we've gotten spoiled to having good things. I think we've gotten spoiled to driving nice cars and having nice houses and, and having uh, good jobs and nice salaries and, and all of those kinds of things. We, we, we get a little bit spoiled And we have learned how to want what we want when we want it and we go after it. So if we want something, we go and get it. I was remembering this morning about how that when I was a kid growing up in my mom and my dad's house, we didn't have some of the same choices that our kids have today. In fact, my mom didn't even know what a chicken nugget was. If we had chicken at our house she would go buy the whole chicken and she'd put her hand up in that chicken and pull all the junk out of it, take its legs and pull that thing apart and pick that chicken apart. Now, depending on what she was making, she might leave some of the meat on the bones if she was going to fry it and we're going to have fried chicken, but if she was going to make some kind of uh, soup or something like that, she would pull the meat off the bones. I, I don't mind telling you that when I saw my mom destroy those chickens, it created in me a desire for anything other than chicken. I mean, blood everywhere, guts everywhere, skin everywhere. But let me tell you something. When it came out of the frying pan and she put it on the, on the table... There was nothing that made me much happier than fried chicken, mashed potatoes with gravy, green beans, corn on the cob, and then a little bit of dessert for when it was all over. But here's the point I'm trying to make. My mom didn't give us a choice. If I came in and sat down at the table and said, this was not really what I wanted tonight, my mom would look at me and say, I don't remember asking you what you wanted. As long as you live in my house, under my roof, you will eat what's on my table. And if you don't like it, you can lump it. Now, she never said, if you don't like it, you don't have to eat it, because my parents were of the opinion that if you sat down at their table and didn't eat it, that was an insult worthy of a whooping. And they'd say, you're going to eat it. You're going to eat every plate, every bite on your plate. There are children in India that would give anything to have the food that you have on your plate, and you're going to eat it. And we'd have to scrape it up and scrape it up and scratch it up. And, and, and we'd have to eat everything on the plate. But the point I'm making is, is that we didn't have any choice. We couldn't come in to mom and dad and say, Hey, uh, we'd rather go to Wendy's tonight if you don't mind. Or could we go, could we go to Fazoli's tonight? I've really been wanting some baked spaghetti and some of those breadsticks. Or, 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 or how about Chick-fil-A? I want to go to Chick-fil-A or as my grandkids call it, Chick-a-lay. I, I, you know, we, we have all these options. And all these opportunities before us, and we get into this mindset that I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it, in the way that I want it. But we've got to learn if we're going to be successful in praying this prayer provision, that we have to accept the will of God for our lives, whether it looks like what we think it should look like or not. There's some of you been praying for years about things in your life that has not yet materialized and you spend days worrying about it And being frustrated over it. And saying, why God? Have you not allowed this to manifest in my life? And you're full of questions. And then the questions turn to frustration. And then you get upset with God. Someone just recently told me, I don't think I can get over my anger with God. I don't think I can get over this sense of frustration over these things that have happened in my life. They can't get to the solution Because they didn't get what they wanted or thought they deserved. And what I'm trying to tell you today is before we can pray this prayer effectively, we've got to come to the place where we're willing to say, God, this might be my preference. But if this is not your will for my life, I don't want any part of anything that is not your will for me. But God, if it is your will, then no matter how difficult it is, and no matter how hard it looks, I know that it will be best for me. God is able to do things in our lives that we never dreamed or imagined. In fact, the scripture says he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the spirit of God that is in us. So what I'm saying to some of you today is you need to take a chill pill. You need to stop focusing on what you think should be and start focusing upon the will of God for your life. You know, it may be that you need to change your vision. It may mean that you have to change your perspective in order to line yourself up with the will of God for your life. You've got to stop doubting the, the, the decisions that you've made. And you've got to stop thinking about, well, if I'd have done this or if I'd have done that. Or you've got to stop thinking, well, if I'd have been able to have her or have him, if, if I'd have just been able to have this job or that job, or if we could have gotten this house or that house or this car or this car, and just buck up, bucko, and say, whatever, God, your will is for my life, I accept it, and I'm going to chill and I'm going to be content knowing that your will shall be done in my life and I can handle it. So there's a commitment to contentment. He said, I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. Now, what is he saying there? You know, we misquote this passage of scripture and we take it out of context and we just say it about everything. I, I can do everything through Christ. I can do it all through Christ. Christ. I can lift, lift a thousand pounds if at, through Christ. I I, I can uh, you know, I can make a million dollars this this week through Christ. Let me tell you something. You're going to be greatly disappointed to discover that there are many things in your life that you will never accomplish. And you're going to say, I don't know why that didn't happen because I quote it every day. Through Christ, I can do all things. I can do all things through him. It's because we take this passage of scripture out of context. What the apostle Paul is saying here is that I know how to have very little and I I know how to abound in every way. But whether I have very little or whether I abound in every way, I can do whatever the will of God is for my life. He will strengthen me and enable me to do it. I've asked God to heal my body, but the healing has not come. God will give you the strength to walk through that illness, that sickness in such a way that you will touch and encourage other people. He will give you the strength that you need. So whatever it is that you're struggling with, know this, that God is able to help you just like Paul, whether it's little or whether it is much, God will travel that journey with you. So we begin with a commitment to contentment. And then secondly, we have to have a commitment to interdependence. Now, a few months ago, I shared with you something that the Spirit of the Lord had shared with me about this process of living in this mindset of interdependence. Now we talk about, well, I depend upon the Lord. We, we were traveling to Tennessee the other day, and we were kind of going through some of the old songs, and we came upon one that Andre Crouch used to sing several years ago that says, you can depend on me. And I like that song. It, it not only means that I can depend upon God, but we're saying to God, God, you can depend on me as well. You see, there are times and seasons in our lives when we have to be dependent upon others. I've got a little grandson named Henry right now, and he's not walking yet, so you have to help him along. I mean, he has to either crawl along or you have to hold his hands because he's dependent upon whoever is helping him for that time. He needs help eating, and so you got to help spoon it into his mouth, but you need to do it in a hurry because he's not real patient. He hasn't developed that skill yet. You know what I'm saying? but you're dependent upon others at certain times in your lives. When my parents got older, they were dependent upon us to fix their food and to do their laundry and to get them where they needed to go and all those kinds of things. They were dependent upon us. And so we have this this mindset where, well, I just, I'm just depending on God. I'm just depending on him. Whatever he says goes, I'm dependent upon him. But what God wants us to do is to learn how to be interdependent with him and to work with him. Some of you just need to work with God. I mean, we, we Pentecostals are so bad about this. We just lean our head back and say, okay, God, hit me with your best shot. Hit me with your best shot. Fire away. Hit me. Play a song faster. Play a faster song. I'll get shaking and moving and God will move me. We just wait and wait and wait for God to do something when all along the answer is right in front of us. All we've got to do is work with Him. Oh Lord, I don't understand why my wife's mad at me all the time. I do. It's because you've got a smart mouth. And you're all the time smarting off to her. And you're all the time saying things you ought not be saying. Let me tell you, some... Guys, you need a man shed or something. You need a garage. You need a backyard. You need somewhere where you can go in a moment's notice. When that thing rises up in you and you look at your wife and you think, I'm getting ready to say something right now, let me tell you, you'd be much better just to go out in the backyard than to say what it is that you're wanting to say. And then you don't understand why she doesn't like you and why she's always upset with you and why she's always frustrated with you. It's because you got a smart mouth. And see, what I'm telling you is, is that for this this faith stuff to work, we actually have to do what the Bible tells us to do. (laughs) Isn't that a novel idea? I think I've come upon something i think that i have found the answer to victory if we'll just do what god says do doesn't it say something like don't be hearers of the word only but be doers of the word because the blessing comes to those who are doing the word of god i you know don't raise your hands or anything like that but you know do a little self-assessment How many of you this week had something rise up in your life that you could have avoided if you'd have just done what the word says to do? So we have to learn how to be interdependent with him. Now, what Paul is saying here in this scripture is that you've sent things to me that I needed, and I appreciate that. And I fully understand that the blessing that I have in my possession right now is because you sent it through Epaphroditus. And because he brought it to me, I have this blessing in my life. But then I want you to notice what he says towards the end. He said, my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now I know what some of you might be thinking. Well, you know, the church had to get all this stuff together, give it to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus had to make a trip to the jailhouse and, and provide for, for Paul everything that had, he had need of wherever Paul was. He had to take it to him. And so there was an effort, in, effort involved. But then God said, he said through Paul, he said, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, that would be like me coming down here to Paul Pitts and saying, I need five bucks. I don't even know if you have five bucks. You got five bucks? You got anything? <laughs> 20. There you go. The prayer provision has worked. So I come over here to Paul and I say, I need 20 bucks. Would you meet the need? And he said, man, I'm going to do it. But I can't get there myself, so I'm going to hand it to Shannon. And Shannon will make the effort that she needs to make to give it to me. Give it to me, Shannon. I can see you sweating, man. You're sweating bullets on top of your head. If I give this to Shannon, I ain't never going to get it back. But you gave it to Shannon. Shannon gave it to me. And now I'm going to do like the apostle did. Thank you. I I really appreciate it. I don't really need it. That's what he said. He said, I'm pretty well fixed up right now. I don't really need it, but I'm taking this from you because I want you to be blessed. (laughs) Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard? I want you to give me $20, not because I need it, because I don't need it. I've got everything I need, but I want you to be blessed. And oh, by the way, when it comes time for you to be blessed, I'm not giving you the $20 back. God's going to have to get it to you. Doesn't that sound like just putting it all on God? He's the Lord. This is one of the best. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. So really what he's saying here is that there is this interdependence of working with the plan of God. So that when I give to others, they are blessed, but I'm blessed because I gave, and now they're going to be able to bless others, and there's this circle of giving that just continues. I don't know if you remember this or not, but it's been several years back now, standing right here was a young couple that I had called up because I I was going to use them in a sermon illustration, much like I just did. And, and, and the Skaggs family came up here and stood right here. And if you'll remember, they were trying to adopt a child. And they were in that process and they needed some money. We were talking about giving and being generous with others. I don't remember how much money it was. It might have been $20, might have been $10, might have been 50 I don't know, but I reached down in my pocket and I gave the illustration of how that there are times when there are people that are close to us that we should bless, that God wants to use us to bless them. Well, you know, they have food stamps and they, have, they get government subsidies and all that so they don't need me. Forget all that and just bless them because God wants to bless them through you and God wants to bless you for giving And I came down here, and I gave them whatever bill it was that I had in my hand, and I'm talking about it. I don't know who was the first one to do it, but somebody out in the congregation got up out of their seat, reached down in their pocket, came up here and gave them money. And somebody else came, gave them money. Somebody else came, gave them money. Somebody else came, gave them money. And it took a while because there were so many people who felt like that God was wanting to do a thing in this situation. And there were several hundred dollars that came in that day and went to that family so that they were able to complete this adoption process. It's the only time that I have ever had to stop preaching so that people could could walk in the Spirit is the best way that I know how to say it. First time they ever had to stop because people... We're feeling this need to respond to God. So what was happening? They had a need. We had a way to meet it. God wanted you to sow seed into this situation. And you see the circle of interdependence that was taking place in that moment. And what I'm saying to you is, is that there are times in your life that God has a miracle for you. God has something for you, but he needs for you to get in on it and to work with him. As an example, how many of you know that one of the ways that he supplies our needs is that he gives us a job. We have to go to work. I know some of you think, well, I don't, I don't like to go to work. I don't want to go to work. You know, if we could just see our jobs differently than we sometimes do. I hate this job. I don't want to go to that job. It's a pain in the neck job. I don't make enough money on this job. I don't like the people at that job. I don't like the owners at this job. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like the other. I don't like the hours. I don't like having to get up. I don't like the atmosphere. I don't like... And all we do is just gripe and complain about... The provision of God for our lives. Somebody say amen or on me. Amen. When I was a kid growing up, Dad used to tell me if I'd say something about church, I don't like church, don't want to go to church. Let me, th- by the way, parents, this is totally free for you, not part of the message. I'm throwing this in at no charge today. Every child doesn't want to go to church every time. I don't want to go. There's nothing for me to do there. I've sit by myself. Listen, look at them and say, as long as you live in my house, you're going to church. You understand that? We go to church. You're going to church. We're going to church. It's going to happen. One of these days, they will thank you for bringing them to church because they'll actually grow up and see the benefit of it. But listen, we have to be interdependent. And one of the ways that we do that is say, I'm so thankful that God's given me a job. I'm so thankful that I can get up in the morning and go to my my job. I'm thankful that I'm healthy. I'm thankful that I have an opportunity to make a difference right there where everyone else is. Thank you for my job, Lord. I pray that you'll give me a good job. I pray that you'll give me one that will supply my needs. I I pray that you'll help me to make a difference in this situation and maybe be able to encourage someone who needs encouragement. You've got to work with him. I was 11 years old when I started working. My wife hates to hear me tell this story. But we weren't allowed to have anything at my house for free. It was like, get up, get out, get a job. And so I'm 11 years old, growing up in this little farm community and getting the daily newspaper and throwing it at people's houses. I had 110 customers, I collected every Friday. And when I'd bring my little nickels and dimes and an occasional quarter and bring it home, my dad would come in and he'd say, don't forget to separate the 10%, which is God's and pay it when you get to church. I paid my tithe when I was 11 years old. It might've been a dollar or two a week. I don't know. I don't remember. But I learned how to work. Some of us just need to learn how to roll up our sleeves and say, Lord, my life would be so much better if I could just learn how to get a better attitude about having to do the things of life instead of just standing here and saying, roll your sleeves up. Go to work. Do the hard things. Give God an opportunity to move His Spirit on your behalf. Be interdependent upon him. Saving money. (laughs) Don and I are at that age. You you older people, you you elders, you'll understand that You get to this point in age where where it's like you see that the end is closer than the beginning. And there will come a day when the Spirit Life Church of God says, Pastor, you're too old to be our pastor anymore. And so you need to retire. Why don't you just go ahead and go to Arizona? And that way we wouldn't have to look at you anymore. One of these days, I'm going to have to step down and retire. Now, let me just make sure you understand this. It's not this week. (laughs) And it's not next year. And hopefully it'll be several years before that happens. Because I'm still strong and buff and good looking. And my mind's just as clear as it's ever been. So don't think you're going to get rid of me anytime soon. What does happen is, as you start looking at things and saying, boy, we need to put some more money away. We need to put some more money away. And we've had the privilege to be able to do that, but it never seems like it's enough. But how many of you know that there? it is appropriate for us to save for the future? To save for the future. That's what our church does. Our church has a safety fund. Unfortunately, that safety fund has had to be way too active lately, but we're building it back up. You can ask the elders. We're working hard on it. We're cutting things in other areas so that we can slip that money into the safety fund. Why? Because we all know there's going to come a day when we need to reach into that in order to do something that needs to be done. So when we save for the future, we're working with God. And and then we give. You say, well, I thought giving was just to make you happy. I thought the only reason that I gave is because you tell us to, because you tell us to tithe and give an offering and that kind of thing. No. No, it's not for that reason. We give and we tithe because God tells us to tithe, to bring all the tithe into the storehouse. It's not because God needs your money. Listen, God has everything that he'll ever need in this lifetime. And if he ever did run out, all he'd have to do is just speak the word and create a new batch of whatever it is that he needs. But we give because we are being interdependent with God on the face of this earth. So when we give, it opens the door for God to bless us. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says, Bring all the tithe into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple if you do, saith the Lord of the heavens of the armies. And I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. I like that, don't you? Let me encourage you to try it. Get on board with God's plan. Start giving. Start tithing. For those of you who have tried it, and maybe you got off course, jump back in. See if God won't bless you in ways that you can't even understand or imagine. He'll do it because God said he would. Come help me close if you will. There's one final thing. So we have to have a commitment to contentment. We have to have a commitment to interdependence. And then we have to have a commitment to trust. A commitment to trust. You know, the bottom line is that we get ourselves in trouble sometimes because we just don't trust God the way that we should. There's a song we used to sing a few years back, not a lot of years ago. But it was a song that just simply says, Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. The line goes on and says, you might as well get thee behind me, Satan, because Jesus never fails. You remember I told you about one day praying and getting all caught up and Jesus, you've never failed me yet. Jesus, you've never failed me yet. God, you've never failed me yet. And the Lord stopped me in my tracks and said, excuse me, are you expecting me to fail you? Why do you keep saying you've not failed me yet? Is your expectation that I'm going to fail you one day? Listen, son, I'm not going to fail you. I've never failed any of my people anytime time. And throughout history, I'm always right on time. I always have everything that you need. I will never fail you. What you've got to learn is to trust that I will be there for you and do what needs to be done in the moment that it needs to be done. We've got to trust him. You see, when we trust him, we get closer to him because we have a different kind of relationship with him. I'm not not looking at him and saying, I don't know if you'll do this or not. I, I don't know if you will or not. No, when we trust him, then we feel closer to him because we have that trust. When we trust God, we worry less. How many of you like to worry? Can I see your hands? Three of you. Let me try this. How many of you like to lie? I'm just kidding. I'm a worrier. My nature is that I worry. And I've had to teach myself through the years to depend upon God in such a way that I don't don't worry any longer because I trust Him. I trust Him. I was thinking not long ago, I couldn't find Donna. She's nowhere to be found. She got one of these cell phones, she never answers it. I text her, she doesn't text me back. And so I'm thinking, what's wrong with Donna? So then my next thing is that I start texting Aaron. I don't, text her, I don't text John because Jonathan half the time doesn't know what's going on in the world anyway. And, and, unless it's on his to-do list. You can go to Jonathan and say, hey Jonathan, what about this, this, and this? And he'll go. He'll defend himself. He'll get his opportunity. But then it's like he has to come out of it and he'll say oh yeah blah 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 and then he tells you a bunch of stuff that you don't need to know you didn't ask him for it you didn't want it but you're going to get it anyway Aaron pretty much always knows where everybody is I don't know if it's because she's actively still raising children little ones or not but she pretty much knows where everyone is and so I text her where's your mom I don't know you don't know where your mom is? No, I don't know where your mom is. So she starts texting. I start texting. She, she she tells me one day, she said, do find my phone on your phone, and it'll tell you where hers is. Couldn't find her. Couldn't know. And even if I had, it would have probably been in a room that she'd have been 14 rooms away. Oh, no, we don't have 14 rooms in our house now. Couldn't find her. Can I tell you that it never even dawned on me? Oh, she's left me. She's gone. Jonathan, she's had enough. She's had all she can take. She's gone. And I just filled the tank up with gas. She can go a long way. It never even dawned on me. Some of the things that you could imagine, it just never came to my mind. Why? Because I've been with her for 40 years. And I've learned she's not going anywhere without me if she doesn't have to. We're together. I trust her. She trusts me. It's taken a long time for us to have the kind of trust that we have today it wasn't like that in the first week of our marriage we kind of look at each other like where are you coming from when you say that Uh, you don't ever have any of that in your house we had to walk through that we had to move through that and now it's just I trust her you trust me baby do you here's the point I'm trying to make. I've been serving the Lord long enough now. I don't doubt him. Oh, there are times that I might have a moment. We all do. But when I get into that moment, I always remind myself, God's never failed me. He's never let me down. He's never left me out on my own. He has always come through on my behalf. He has always met the need. He has always done what He said He would do. He has always kept me in His care. I trust Him implicitly. Stand with me if you will. Prayer team come.